0: Hello, this episode is about personal development programs. Are they useful or are there any problems there with them? Well first we have to consider that the personal development movement in America began really in earnest in the 1980s and of course we know what was going on then. The country was moving out of that so-called malaise period of the late 1970s and with the start of the Reagan administration, well, it actually began a little bit in the Jimmy Carter administration. There became the firm belief in the power of the free market to provide uh, prosperity for all Americans. In other words, it was the idea that the social programs, somewhat inspired by Lyndon Johnson's Great Society, could never help America achieve the prosperity it needed. And there was a belief, too, that social welfare programs became linked up with the economic problems of the 1970s, which were inflation, stagflation, high unemployment, and high interest rates. But also what was ushered in in the 1980s with the Reagan movement was that new belief in personal responsibility. That was a direct, of course, turnaround from any kind of development of an American welfare state, which, of course, would emphasize that An individual's prosperity is not totally locked up in his own initiative, but he can depend somewhat on the state or the community for assistance. So, of course, 1980 comes along, and there's that belief that for America to get out of economic torpor or stagflation, the individuals must take it upon themselves to make a better life for themselves. So there you have it, the popularization of the personal development movement. This existed years before because as you may know in 1937 Napoleon Hill would publish probably the most famous personal development book of all time, Think and Grow Rich. And in fact Napoleon Hill would be an advisor to President Franklin Roosevelt and Hill himself is credited with coming up with the phrase we have nothing to fear but fear itself which was included in FDR's inauguration speech in March of 19... Thirty-three. Now presidents are inaugurated in uh, January of the following year after election because people had thought that there was too much of a lag between two administrations and they wanted to solve that problem. So, in other words, that personal development movement had been around at least as long as that, and perhaps even before that with the new thought movement and different kind of other ideas where the ideas of a person taking responsibility for his life and just trying to connect with the supposed unseen forces of the universe that can help an individual have a better life. And this is the so-called law of attraction. So how effective our personal development program is and what do they preach and should we believe in them? Well, for starters, I think a certain weakness is the fact that most personal development authors emphasize too much the power of a free market to provide all benefits and that There are no systemic problems in capitalism anywhere in the world, but if the individual just get his act together, then there are no systemic problems, which I believe is inaccurate. And I think if we look at history, going back to the American economy and just the world economy, it proves that that is correct. So that is the principal weakness, a weak which is also the probably the, the biggest weakness of the American economic culture, that it is the responsibility of each individual American to make it on his own. And if he doesn't make it, it is his fault. And if he is not making it, well then there's some reason we can find where his for his failures. But, of course, the American system is just not made where everybody can make it. That is just an existential fact. So until American society deals with that very important sentence I just uttered, we are not going to move forward in our culture. So that would be the principle... Mis- motivation of the personal development movement that it's upon individuals to make it on their own in the American economy and culture. But there are some good things about the movement. You know, there are certain authors like uh, Nathaniel Brandon, he wrote books about self-esteem, who, of course, you, you may not know this, but he was married and having an affair as a young man with the libertarian author Ayn Rand, author of Atlas Shrugged and others, a big critic of Franklin Roosevelt and the social welfare state. But he does have some good ideas, such as you should accept yourself totally as you are at the very present moment. You don't have to achieve things to attain that. And anyone can see that that is very antithetical to what our culture believes. We believe that an individual's value is tied up into his accomplishments or what kind of job he has or perhaps even fame that he's acquired. And so an idea such as that is very, very important. But, yeah, that could perhaps be the most important aspect of personal development materials. But the one limiting factor, which is all in most of these self-help or personal development books, is that um, success is measured by how much money you're making. How much economic success you have is that really true? But in our culture, you cannot question that. If we were to question that belief and th- say that it probably isn't true, we could move ahead on a lot of different social causes in our country. It would certainly take away our competitiveness. As I, as I say throughout my works in my books that American political leaders are always emphasizing that it is not the duty of American culture to provide Americans with any kind of economic guarantee but just to provide the opportunity for them to make it. In other words if you don't make it as you but if you had the opportunity well then it, America is relieved of any kind of responsibility after that. And that is not a way to create a great society. And Lyndon Johnson did not even promise that. So uh, his aspirations actually were 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 misfocused. Uh, he was not focused on creating a great society, but maybe he could have wanted to create, or perhaps even did create, or strive to a great opportunity in society. His programs, and he had stated this, were meant to just keep the lowest Americans afloat until they could find meaningful employment or more income in the free market. But that argument is very weak when, as I've noted earlier, There are just not enough good jobs in America to go around for everybody. If everyone had a Harvard PhD, there still would not be good enough jobs for everybody. If everybody was qualified for the management position, who would be the workers? So you just have these kind of existential problems that Americans don't really analyze too deeply. Americans don't like to analyze too deeply and in general, as we can see with this coronavirus recently, that demanded extreme rationalism and working from a goal from A to Z. And that just threw America society into cognitive dissonance. It just goes against our very culture of we let people out there play the game and uh, maybe even referee it once in a while. But in other words, we want to let the players play And basically, our society is not going from A to Z. We do not really have an end in mind in our culture beyond the latest quarterly GDP numbers or the monthly unemployment figures. But we have to ask ourselves, and this has not really ever been asked, what kind of society are we trying to create here? What are our ultimate goals? It doesn't seem to be to provide prosperity for every American. It, it just seems that we believe we have to provide that opportunity for Americans to make it. <clears throat> so we should get rid of the, uh, the idea of the American dream and start working on the idea of, the, of an American reality. I mean, if this state of the nation or a country was going on everywhere in the world, well, then we may have to accept it as just a rule of nature where humans compete against each other just like animals in the wild. So what can we really do, perhaps? But the fact that other nations, in particular Europe, have, have risen above that to a certain extent, we can do the same. It's just a sense of incompleteness in American society that seems to be just too tolerated. Because I think an important reason is because every American thinks he's the one that's going to make it. And a certain percentage do. But do we all have to go through this stressfulness, this highly competitiveness of our culture that can't be really good for anybody, even the billionaires? But the belief is that they're gonna be better off without social programs or welfare state because that would limit them. But the problem with that argument is that countries can have rich people but still have a strong welfare state. That would be example, France is one example, even Germany. And Europeans are more upwardly mobile than Americans right now. So a lot of the basis of uh, the arguments that underlie our society are just uh, not based on any real evidence. So that is the problem with the social development programs, getting back to the topic here, is that it places too much emphasis on an individual's responsibility plus it just places too much value on making money or an individual's bank account as establishing their value. Because let me ask you a question. Why do you know who Bill Gates is? Well, you know the answer because he's a billionaire and the message is put out there that That's a value that Americans should uh, admire or be in awe of or want to know about. If we had less respect for economic achievements and just took out that premise where we believe that uh, the more economic success a person has, the more important he is, Bill Gates' name would really lose importance. He may be a great man and he likes to read books and all that, but. I'm just talking about how the media and our culture uses him and his uh, personality. Just the idea that a leader of a country is, is important than his workers or an important person, that, uh, leaders of companies. and So that is a main weakness of personal development programs is that they come out with ideas of what success is but they don't question the premises of success in other words what is success is it money is it a certain job is that true could that be wrong so we don't we don't go into that we just assume these premises oh he went to harvard therefore he's smart so we don't question that is harvard a good school uh, what's going on there does that mean they're better why so so it doesn't it doesn't go into those certain problems, but yet again, personal development programs have benefits. If it can make you believe in yourself and uh believe that you don't not have ironically have to have money or a certain accomplishment to be just as good as anybody, then that's valuable, but too often they don't emphasize that. So thank you very much, and thanks for listening. Hello. In this issue, I'd like to talk about self-acceptance and how that concept relates to American politics. Why is self-acceptance so important? Well, for number one, in America, we are constantly getting messages that we are not alright, or unless we have a certain job or a certain career, to prove our value. And so, what happens is the system tries to tell us that, or our whole culture. We are constantly asking, asking ourselves: Am I good enough? Do I fit into the crowd? Am I meeting the standards that our culture? sets for everyone. But, as I said in the last episode, the premises in our culture that are really driving this society are never really questioned. And the top premise in our culture is the more money you have, the more valuable of a person you are. And people tell you, well, everybody doesn't believe that or that's just your opinion or everybody's different. Well, we all know that's not true. We all know that is the central message in our culture. That's why our society is obsessed with celebrities, uh, multi-million dollar celebrities. In fact, that is what had given Donald Trump his start and what probably still drives his appeal today although his initial appeal was because he had a TV show called The Apprentice and somehow like Tiger Woods on the back nine of the Masters people were cheering him on we want more we want more so in American culture what is the first thing they try to get you to do when you become really hot you got to run for president. You can go way back to discover that phenomenon. This was seen fairly recently in the 1950s when Dwight Eisenhower was recruited by both major political parties in America to become the president, mainly because he was seen as the leader of the victory of the allied forces in Europe. And he, along with Donald Trump and George Washington, had never held elective office before assuming the presidency. But getting back to Donald Trump again, his whole personality really represents the ideal that our culture tries to put out to the culture in order really to encourage conformity and for people to be encouraged to always ask themselves what does the crowd think? What does other people think? Am I meeting those standards? And that's how we become manipulated in America because If we perceive in ourselves that we are not meeting those kind of societal standards, we don't have to complain if there's some kind of inequities or injustices in our American culture or capitalist system. We will blame ourselves. And that in a nutshell is what drives American culture and why reform has been stopped. because it, it just goes back to the central belief that anybody can make it here, and if they're not making it, it's their fault. And statistics show that that just is not true. How many people cannot be trying this hard, or how many people can be wrong? Millions? It, it, it just stretches in incredul- credulity, credulity. But yet that is what both major parties put out there the democratic party tries to point itself as being you know for great values or for the little guy and all those kind of great values but they are not really going far enough in in providing a vision which can drive america forward and provide a great american culture So that's the importance of self-acceptance. If a person has self-acceptance outside of what the society says he should be, he becomes a person of power, because he cannot be manipulated by uh, people he sees on TV, such as celebrities or politicians, saying, this is an example of uh, what success is. He does not have to listen to that stuff. He begins to think for himself. I remember back, this might have been 2014, there was a speaker of the house called, uh, I forget his name now, but he said he's for a safety net as long as it doesn't become a hammock. Now, okay, he's a speaker of the house, does that mean it's right? Well, yeah, there's that strong pressure to believe what ever our elected leaders, or just people they put on TV, is true and accurate. But getting back to Donald Trump, the whole idea there was the 1980s when the Reagan administration came in and uh, the model ideal of the American citizen was the big businessman who made millions and traded companies and Kara Aiken was, was a big icon then and J.R. Ewing from Dallas. I mean, it didn't matter if they were bad or not, just the fact that they were making money, that was what qualified them in the American zeitgeist as being great or providing an ideal in our culture. Out was Alan Alder, the the sensitive man from MASH, and in was Larry Hagman and J.R. Ewing of Dallas. The Reagan administration was that stark of a contrast from not only the Nixon years, but even the Carter years. So it's just the whole culture discourages self-acceptance. It's like you have to have the right job or somehow the right career to approve of yourself so that's how people become a nation of power if we can improve ourselves improve accept ourselves just as we are right now then we can say well if i'm not making good living here i deserve to because i am all right the way i am right now i don't have to improve myself but that's why america keeps you keeps going here because they say well if anybody is not making it, there's gotta be something wrong there. And if everybody's real successful, well, <laughs> well what it, uh, then again, what, what is success? Okay, we, we, we've covered that last time. But if someone is successful according to what American society tries to put out there, in other words, money, title, fame, they've gotta be doing everything right, okay? and. We as an individuals have to get beyond that and question that. Is that really true? What if it was the case that nobody can ever be better than anybody else, no matter what they do? And in that, when we take that stance as a culture, that is where our welfare state can begin. Because everybody does deserve to have a good life just because they're alive. Americans of a certain generation used to have the idea even though they were struggling themselves, do you think the world owes you a living? Well, it does. Do we have to get out there and beat each other and scratch and claw just to live a good life? That's crazy. And even if if nature intended that initially when we were in Africa or wherever, fighting among animals, laughing hyenas, lions, and all those kinds of things. Tigers don't live in Africa. So, uh, maybe it was all right then. But don't you think we can transcend that kind of lifestyle now and try to live a cooperative life? But America just seems to continue in this kind of primitive state. A little bit of Switzerland and a little bit of Somalia. I mean, we, we better start leaning in, this, in, in the sense of Switzerland. So really to move ahead, this has got to not come from politicians. It has to be a cultural movement where people accept themselves the way they are and demand rights out of that mindset. It first starts like a, like a sporting event, looking at an NBA game and just saying, it's really meaningless who wins that game. That is really where this whole mindset in our country starts where the idea is that if you win a game or beat somebody, that's what you got to do to be accepted. And that's crazy. We had to live in a society where we have to beat each other for significance? What does it matter if some team wins a game? Think about that deeply. What is really going on there? What is happening? Why do humans want that? Why do Americans want that? Well, the answer is because people are living vicariously through these people on television or saying, if they win, I win. I feel immortal. With the death of God and all that stuff and Western Europe, and that's five, six hundred years. People are still trying to link to something that's immortal. So they they link up to Yogi Bear or, or somebody like that, who is at a hall of fame or or whatever. Trying to get a touch of that idea that they will live forever themselves. So how many people, when they see a sporting event, their team loses the Super Bowl, they feel left down because uh, either. Be, and if the team wins, they feel let down because why aren't they as good as them? Why aren't they making all that money? Why, why is my life worthless compared to some superstar hero? See, the way to undercut all that is to, to tell yourself it's meaningless. Tom Brady's no better than an eighth-grade quarterback. That's what I tell myself. And then all that shine, all that glamour from celebrities is just taken away. And then we can move ahead in our culture. We can look at every individual and say, what can we do to provide them with a good life? What can we do to provide us all with a good life? And if you're Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or Elon Musk, you may be, you may be worth billions, but you have to still live in a culture that I don't think anybody can really feel comfortable here. I don't see no reason why we can't design a society built on love and cooperation and, and the goal of providing a good life for everybody. It can be done. The Europeans are doing it to a significant, to a significant degree and other nations. And I've said this before in my other podcast, this kind of competitive attitude is a very strong factor in the violence that we have in our nation right now. You got to believe that many of these individuals (coughs) and other people that are frustrated would be feeling better if they didn't think it was life or death, whether they survived or not, whether they made it economically. That kind of attitude is driving a lot of severe, bad situations in our country, from ghettos, bad health outcomes, obesity. Uh, so why is it we have this attitude that winning is the best way to run a society? But that is a premise that we don't question. Remember what I said. We have to question the premises that people just don't question here. As I mentioned that, uh, last episode, what college did you go to? Yale, they say. And people just don't... <coughs> they say, did you really go? And then they don't question whether it's good or not. Yeah. Whether well, any college... So that is why I'm in the presidential race because I'm trying to get this out into our culture that, number one, the president doesn't have all this power, the American president. And for us to put all this hope in one man or one office and then become frustrated four years later when, of course, those, those needs aren't met, we have to understand that our focus is misplaced. This has to be a cultural movement. The politicians are always last to know about things. So, we have to get out there, the idea of self-acceptance, people to be rebels enough to believe that they can accept, accept themselves outside of what the culture tells them they are. Because the problem is that people don't accept themselves and when they have a bad job or face economic difficulties, they blame themselves, which isn't the case. America has serious systemic economic problems that are never addressed. Just, just a simple one of always being subject to booms and busts. And candidly, Europeans are subject to that thing, same thing as well. <clears throat> so there's got to be a way to develop an economic system going ahead in the future that takes away these booms and busts we can tolerate a lower GDP number for more stability. But thank you for listening, goodbye. What is my domestic policy as a presidential candidate? Well, first and foremost, it is to develop America's welfare state. And when I say welfare state, I do not mean just the poorest Americans, but helping all Americans achieve a better life on all economic levels. For example, in Europe, childcare assistance is available to not just the poorest, which sometimes is available to Americans, but but to Europeans of all economic classes. There's no reason that America cannot have that done here. Another principle would be to establish in America a guaranteed minimum income also known across American parts of Europe as a universal basic income. This was popularized a few years ago when uh, an American presidential candidate Andrew Wang, I believe it was his name, ran And that was his main issue. But I must admit, nearly nine years ago, in my first book, Human Progress in American History, about the American welfare state, I was really the first one to mention that as a solution to the big problem of America, of there being just bad jobs. And no one really attempts to eliminate that fact. The idea is go to college so you can avoid the bad jobs. Like I said again, that is not, uh, you know, creating a great society. <coughs> That's like an, another example in America where we don't do anything about the ghettos. We just want people to move out of them. And yet the ghettos remain. And then once a while, well often you'll hear a story in the news talking about people that rose out of the ghetto, or a person went from nothing to riches, uh, but that doesn't happen all the time, and it can happen all the time. As I mentioned before in some my other works, everyone cannot be a millionaire. (coughs) It would be inflationary for one reason. We saw what happened with the recent pandemic relief with the Biden and the Trump administration pump billions of dollars into the American economy. Even with that somewhat smaller amount, it led to an inflation crisis for a while. So just another idea here where America keeps going on a premise that can never be realized, which I means everybody can be a millionaire. I mean, that's what you keep on promising here. And they put up a model of a sports star where He rose out of the ghetto so you can too. Can everybody do that? It just doesn't make sense. So we live in a land of uh, promises but they're they're never fully realized. And do we have to make all of our lives just based upon economics where struggling or, or making it economically is the only measure of a quality of life? That's crazy. Why can't we just relax and enjoy our life? I don't see how you can really do that when you're constantly worrying about money or competing against other people to get recognition or uh, to move up an economic ladder. We have to examine here what is the purpose of human life and what is the best life for humans to lead and how can we match those ideas? We don't do that here. There is just a belief that someone puts up a business and you're supposed to go to work and and listen to the boss and if you don't like it, go find another job. It's really a cold-hearted, bottom-line existence here. You see, those Rocky Mountains out west, they are quite beautiful, but it almost describes the personal economic reality that a person lives through in the United States. Just that stark, halt, cold reality is staring right back at you so we just have to take away this idea that for me to live a better life I have got to outdo other people I'm just watching or listening to a little bit of the Lakers and Warriors game tonight in basketball in the NBA and what's the idea there one team's going to win, and I mean, what does that really mean? But it's just a metaphor for the whole society where you're supposed to get out there, find an opponent, and beat them, and then you've accomplished something. Um, what, what, how does that do everybody any good? You know, this is the kind of stuff that is never deeply examined in our culture. Is it healthy? I don't think so. It, it has led to one of the most violent cultures in the world that is not at war. And perhaps sometimes, in a way, we are at war constantly here. So that's my top premise of my domestic policy as a president would be is to create the American welfare state. And also, number two, on the first day in office, I would send to Congress a request to rewrite the Constitution so, ironically, we could do away with the Office of Presidency and even the Congress and develop or implement a parliamentary system. The reason why that would be beneficial is that now a party that has been voted in by the the voters can now implement the policy that the voters wish. Now we have a divided government and somehow the founders believe that that would protect us from tyrants or, or bad results but that doesn't seem to have done a completely a job. Perhaps it did save us from Donald Trump being a dictator here but actually what stopped Mr. Trump were senators in his own party and judges stopped him when he tried to create draconian immigration laws. So I have some respect for the founders because of that. But what also it does prevent is that if if a society wants to do something, it can't here. It's it's greatly impeded. And also in a parliamentary system, you have what is called a vote of no confidence. If the prime minister, which is actually the leader of the the party of the parliament, the executive, cannot perform, there there can be a vote and there have to be new elections. (coughs) I mean, that could have solved the George W. Bush problem a while ago and also the Donald Trump problem. So, I think a major problem we have philosophically and intellectually in America is that we believe that the American founders were just ultimate geniuses and made no mistakes in constructing the Constitution. (coughs) And that is just not accurate. As I write about in my books, the American Constitution is actually a limiting document because it does not spell out in any real way what kind of society America should be working towards. It just abets this American naturalism where, you know, the strongest are supposed to come out on top. I mean, uh, It was written nearly 100 years before Darwin's theory of evolution came out, but yet it expresses many of those sentiments, sentiments where the founders believe that human life is not to be fair because human beings, they, as they saw as flawed human, as flawed creatures. Well, I don't see how they can be flawed because if they respect the creator, it's really the only thing we've got until we start genetic engineering and and perhaps turning into part computers or part uh, cybernetic beings ourselves.